It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. It is good to be back. Uh, It has been a long stretch uh, where we have not had Daily Thunders, and I tell you what, uh, I had a lot more uh, time on my hands, but that gets filled with other things. Uh, I just love being in the groove of this podcast, and so I think I can speak for Nathan as well. It's just good to get back into the groove. Uh, I I was thinking as I'm looking at the title of this particular uh, series, it's going to be a seven-parter and sort of a throwback series. I've been looking for an excuse to get back into the World War II era, and I found one, and it's uh, it's one of these seven-week series. And so, uh, but it's called 1940. Uh, I remember I, I pitched a book to uh, a publisher, and uh, they wanted the book. That wasn't the problem. It was that they didn't like my title. My title was a number. It was 29. And the book ended up being uh, titled The Bravehearted Gospel. And I still remember what the publisher said. said, you're not well-known enough, Eric, to pull off a number title. I was thinking, oh, well, thank you. Uh, it makes me feel really good. But, uh, you know, when you're doing Daily Thunder and you don't have to run it through a publisher, you can come up with a number title. So look at this. I'm sort of, you know, poking that whole idea in the eye, and I'm doing it with a number, 1940. Uh, it's a year. And it's a very, very critical year, especially in Great Britain. So the focus of this, as I go through this mini-series, it is on World War II, but it's a subsection of World War II. I mean, World War defines a war as being worldwide, so it involved a lot of countries. And yet what I would like to focus on very specifically is Great Britain. And I'm going to, just as I did in my World War II series that I gave uh, in 2020, which was 93 episodes, this is going to be a little short uh, stint, you know, with seven episodes. But uh, I went through Winston Churchill's memoirs of World War II, and that's sort of what I'm going to use as I go through this. It's sort of a uh, a chronology of events in his perspective. He's the only major world leader that was in both World War I as a leader and World War II. And so his perspective is just priceless. And some of his quotes, which I'll read some of them today, are classic Winston Churchill. I you sometimes have to read them two or three times. So you might have to listen to this message two or three times to get some of it. They are very well articulated, well crafted, just sort of masterpieces of literature. Uh, but uh, they also have some great pithy meaning. The reason I, I have done series on World War One, which I just did uh, this past year, and World War Two, which I did in 2020, as I mentioned before, is not because I'm just a fan of war necessarily, and I really want to cheer it on. It's like, hey, could we just have another war? I, I'd love to study it. There's something about war that helps me understand my life as a Christian. And it gives me language that almost nothing else does outside just the Word of God. As far as a picture, I mean, Jesus spoke in parables. He gave illustrations and metaphors. And for me, war sort of functions that way for my understanding of spiritual life. And it's not because I'm interested in picking up a gun and shooting it. I, I, I'm not. I'm actually not really a guy that likes guns. I, you know, I have 
uh, gone and shot rifles, you know, with Kip as we go out uh, to uh, you know this this program he was in called CYO, Colorado Youth Outdoors, where we're fishing and shooting bows and arrows and uh, shooting a rifle at a target or at uh, clay pigeons or something. And so it's not that I haven't held one. It's just that there's no attraction to me. I'm, I, I just don't get into that. And when I study war, I'm not really interested in battle strategies. I'm not interested as much in the weaponry as, as, as I am in the, the reasons why someone gets into war or a nation gets into war, what it's like for the common man to engage in these types of fearful situations, what it's like to be a leader over men in these situations, what it's like to be led by leaders in these situations, because I try and put myself in these circumstances and sort of play it out because that's my life. My life is in the midst of a battle, a war. And as a result, when I study war, it helps me sort of gain language and understanding for this critical thing called living life for Jesus Christ. I am unabashedly, unapologetically, a lover of Jesus Christ. And everything I teach is shaded because of that. And so when I'm talking about uh, this entire part of history, my reason for doing it is not just to teach history, even though it will definitely come out, but it's to understand better how to love him and how to serve him. And so I hope you're able to appropriate it the same way. So 1940, when change is desperately needed. Boom, we need some epic soundtrack behind that. That is uh, That was exciting. I'm already stirred up. So part one, the thinness of 39. So if it's called 1940, 39 should be a hint that we're talking about the year before. And that is actually what stunned me most when I was reading through Winston Churchill's memoirs in preparation for my series on World War II. And I ended up going through Winston Churchill's memoirs. I don't know how many times it was, but this is a huge volume. I mean, it's just a massive volume. And I probably went through it maybe three or four times. But there was one thing that stood out, I'd say, out of all of that writing, which was magnificent, and the entire tale of World War II is stunning. It's spectacular. The storyline is just amazing. But there was something that stood out more than anything else, and that was what I always called 1940. In fact, when I sat down to put together that Daily Thunder series, I actually titled it 1940, which is you know, sort of a... Uh, you know, for me, this is sort of fun to call a series 1940 because I did abandon that and I called it Spiritual Lessons from World War II, which is a better title because World War II doesn't start in 1940. So what is 1940? World War II starts in 1939 and it is going to end in September of 1945. So 1940, why would you name a whole series after that? Well, because of a statement that Winston Churchill is going to make, which I'm going to sort of bring into this particular message, and he is going to describe a change, a change in Great Britain that is going to basically change world history. And if if things don't change in Great Britain in 1940, we live in a very different world today. Hitler undoubtedly would be would have ruled the world. In fact, the United States would have been on the dinner menu next. And that's why uh, Japan was, you know, getting its war uh, horse uh, ready and in the, in the stables at that time. And so what we see in this transition from 39 to 1940 is the transformation. We could call it a revival of a nation. 
And, you know, when we think of the word revival as Christians, we're thinking spiritual, and that's the most important side of a revival. And that is going to happen in Great Britain. There is going to be a spiritual side of their reviving. But in a sense, they're awakening from a stupor. You could even call it stupidity. Stupor, stupidity. Hmm. Those seem to have some similarity to them. I remember when Dietrich Bonhoeffer was talking about stupidity back in his age, which is this same time period of World War II in Nazi Germany. He said it's not the absence of intellect that makes someone stupid. That's, that's our common misunderstanding of the word today. We think it means dopish idiot, uh, when in actuality it means turning off the brain. That works really well, but for social purposes, for political correctness sake, you overlook things that you know are wrong, but you declare them to yourself to be okay and fine. It's sort of like the emperor's new clothes, where he's he actually is wearing nothing. He's naked, but everyone in the culture to be correct, has to acknowledge that the emperor's clothes look really good. And many of us tend to do this. And this is a very common thing that is taking place in our age and generation, which is why I think it's important to review this particular series. Because I would say that we're in a 1939. We're in the thinness of 39, to use my title. And we need to be changed. We need to revive. We need to be altered because if we don't, evil is going to overtake this world. And the world ahead is going to be very different than it would be if we allow truth to once again regain its position of strength and power. To let Jesus Christ once again reign in his church. How is that going to happen? By him reigning in our lives individually. And so let's begin this message my first uh, screen, if you're listening to this via audio, I do have a, a video of this, which you can see all that I'm saying. I'm in the studio, actually. The last time I gave this, it was a mishmash of various uh, environments. I think I was in like three different environments for that World War II series. Most of it was in the chapel. And this is going to be in the studio, which is sort of a fun way to do this. But my, my screen says, fighting the war to end all wars makes you believe that war is no more. 19, uh, well, let me just say it this way. The World War I, uh, when it was fought, was described by all the politicians and the government leaders. The re reason they got everyone to buy into it, the soldiers to go and fight, was this is going to be the war to finally stamp out the idea of war. When in fact, it's the war that inspired all other wars. So World War II is a direct result of World War I. So if you really want to understand what I mean by that, because I can't really go into that at any great depth in this series, you want to go through my World War I series, which is was given last year, Spiritual Lessons from World War I. But it was called The War to End All Wars. So how would that affect you? If you thought that, that, that you had just participated and the reason you had suffered so greatly was to end all wars, wouldn't it make sense that you would think that war was now maybe a passe item? It didn't exist anymore. And that's exactly the problem we're facing before World War II because no one wanted to fight again. There were strong positions against ever going to war again. And if you study World War I, you will know exactly why they had those positions. That's not altogether different than what we feel. If you've ever gone through a battle or a difficulty or a challenge in your life, it has a tendency to cause you to back off from ever getting near the things that caused that the first time. And so when you're burned, you stay far and away from that hot iron. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. War is going to burn society. 
And so when this situation with Adolf Hitler in the 30s is going to be unfolding and Hitler is going to be rising in power, which I'm going to go into and break down how this is all going to come about. So I'm sort of skipping ahead to 1939 because to get to 1940, there's actually a process that's going to take place. And it's a process of decomposition where there's going to be compromise after compromise after compromise that Great Britain is going to make that is going to weaken them and then weaken them more and then weaken them even more. This is a similar process that we go through. Many of us have looked at the cross and we're like, hey, the, the battle's won. It's, it's over. Didn't Jesus say it is finished? And we're going to look at our life and we're going to have this expectation that it should be easy. I, I came to Christ. I, I believed. Why is my life challenging? And when you actually are seeking peace at all costs, you have a tendency to compromise quicker than in any other situation. When you just want comfort, you'll tend to plug your ears, and just like I defined earlier, you'll become stupid because you don't want to face the impact of actually heeding the truth, of actually acknowledging what is real, what is right, what should be done. And so when we turn off our brains in order to maintain the status quo, when we turn off our souls and we don't allow the Spirit of God to convict us, well, we are rife and ripened for calamity, which is exactly what is happening in the world before World War I. And ironically, history is going to repeat itself. It's going to happen again right before World War II. So 1939, I'm going to describe it this way, Great Britain at its weakest. So I don't have a picture of Great Britain to put in the, in the slideshow here, but hopefully you know where it is, oftentimes known as England, uh, the British Isles. There's various names for this territory, but it's an island. And that plays a big role in its history. Uh, and you know, up to this point, I don't know if it had been a thousand years uh, since anyone had invaded its shores. And so uh, that's a long time. So as, as you go through uh, something like the history of Great Britain, you begin to recognize that there is oftentimes a reason why they can become casual and why they can become passive. Because, hey, you know, we're fine here. We have the strongest navy in the world. No one's going to invade us. But there's a decadence that is going to creep into this country, just like it has crept into ours. Now, I'm from America, and so I can't speak for all the people, all the nations that could be listening to this. So when I say ours, I, I need to be careful. But I wouldn't doubt that probably most of you, if not all of you listening, could probably say the same about your country. Times of ease and peace are wonderful and we crave them, but they oftentimes do a disservice to our readiness, to our sharpness. An athlete, when he knows he's going to perform in an event, gets sharp for that event. If an athlete knows that it's a year out before he's going to participate in something, he has a tendency to let his guard down and to maybe eat some things he shouldn't or just maybe skip a few training sessions. When this begins to happen, again, there's a decomposition of strength that takes place. It takes place on the individual level. It can take place in a marriage, a family, a church, a society. And that's what we see happening in World War II. But we also see it happening today, which is why this is pertinent for us. So on the screen, I put a new date, 1940. And I'm going to say it this way, Great Britain at its strongest. Now, isn't that interesting? Wait a minute, wait a minute. 1939, Great Britain at its weakest. 1940, Great Britain at its strongest. Now, this is why I'm actually giving this series, because it's encouraging to me to note that 
You can be at such a weak point, such a thin place, and yet when you make the right decisions to put truth in its proper place again, it changes everything, and it can change it quickly. And boy, do we need a quick change now. The proving of a nation. When I originally gave this message, this particular sub-message, uh, it was, I think, message six in uh, the series on the World War II series, and I called it the proving of a nation. So you could listen to that, and you're going to hear something probably fairly similar. Uh, but I put a sub-statement uh, under this. Difficulty is often the great elixir. So a nation, just like an individual, needs to be proved. And it's like smelting uh, you know, some metal, and it's going to remove the dross, remove the, uh, the different parts of it that are not fit. And the same thing needs to happen in our lives. Just like Great Britain is going to be proven in 1939 into 1940, we also need to go into the fire. And that which is dross needs to be removed. Or, you know, like through the threshing, if you're, if you're a kernel of wheat, you need that chaff to be removed. And these are the illustrations that God himself uses in our lives to un- help us understand how we are pruned or we are bettered or we are perfected. We are perfected, ironically, through difficulty, through trials, through tribulations, through suffering. The word tribulation comes from the word tribular, which is a threshing instrument. And ironically, we have such a negative perception of the word tribulation when in actuality, it's a good thing. I know it doesn't sound like a good thing. I get it. But it means to thresh or to remove that which is unimportant or actually hindering uh, the value of something. So wheat, for instance, it needs to be threshed. It needs to go through the tribular to actually find its pure, purest form. So difficulty is often the great elixir that we need in our life. I want you to ponder that for a second. So I I teach a lot on this. This isn't an unusual thing. If you've heard uh, Daily Thunder for a long time, you will hear me talk about the importance, the value, the beauty of difficulty. You know, I, even the guy speaking this, I know that. That does not mean I greet difficulty every time it comes correctly. I need to constantly be sharp, like like a pencil in the pencil sharpener. I need to constantly go back to the truth and remember this, which is why I think I need to constantly rehearse it in Daily Thunder episodes too. Partly it's probably for my sake so that I am sharp to greet the challenges, the trials, and the difficulties that I have the way Christ has asked me to do it according to his word. So look at 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 with me. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The very beginning of that statement said, in this you greatly rejoice. So are we rejoicing when our faith is being tested and proven genuine? You see, this is what must take place in our life. We need to be readied to stand against the Nazi Hitler movement in our generation. It's different. We don't have Nazism today in the same way, but we do have a dark evil that is conspiring to destroy the church and destroy truth in this world, to snuff it out, to undermine the fabric of that which God has established to uphold that which is righteous. That was a funny way of saying righteous, uh, but that's what I meant. 
So in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James 1 Verses 2 through 4. Look at this. Now, I know you know this one. I'm not saying anything new to probably most of you listening, but this is rehearsing that which is important for our soul to remember because we can dull on this truth very quickly. My brethren, speaking to us, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we're supposed to count it all joy. That means it's not just a subtle bit of like, that's a little joy. This is all joy. Like as if this is the greatest thing that could happen to us when we fall into various trials. Because we understand that the the value of those trials is to test our faith and therefore to produce something that makes us solid and strong. You see, when we're in a 1939 state, we need a trial which will then prove who we are, what we are made of. And then ultimately, if we respond right to that trial, it will produce something called patience and we will be strong for the battle. This is exactly the history of World War II. Now, as we go into 1939-1940, I'm starting you know, right sort of in the cornerstone, the crux of what this series is about, and then I'm going to go back and sort of build to it. But you're going to get disgusted with Great Britain. I mean, it's going to be, really irritate you, in fact. You're going to be like, why are they doing that? You see, we see in a bigger picture way because we see Hitler with historical lenses on, and we're able to say that was evil. In the time, it wasn't as clear. And there was a desire, and it was a reigning desire in the culture. In fact, the church was sponsoring in Great Britain for something called passivity or the peace movement. Now, I'm all for it. I'm not interested in picking up some club and you know hitting my enemy with it. I, I do not espouse that. However, what are you supposed to do when someone like Hitler begins to violate everything that is right, and he begins to feed on smaller countries, and he begins to abuse his, his power, and he begins to harm and even murder uh, innocent people. What are you supposed to do? Just say, hey, peace, peace, peace? Or are you supposed to rise up and stand against it? And so this is symbolic. I'm not an advocate of war, but I am an advocate of spiritual battle and standing for that which is true and right when everyone's sitting to stand. So I'm not necessarily saying, because there's going to be some of you out there that would be non-resistance in your attitude towards uh, difficulty or danger or oppressions. However, I would say it this way. You might be non-resistant in regards to a human standing in front of you, but you cannot be non-resistant in regards to evil. Evil is something that must be resisted. We are supposed to resist the devil so that he would flee. In other words, there is a need within a godly man or woman to stand up and represent righteousness. That does not mean we do it harshly or by bopping someone in the nose. Sometimes it's by speaking truth. Sometimes it's just by standing and saying that is wrong. However, in this time period, what you see is a cowardliness that has overcome the culture to the point where if anyone even speaks against Hitler in Great Britain, they're called a warmonger. In other words, no one is allowed to say anything. The political correctness of the time was anti 
anything that would stand, would resist, would do anything but just be passive. And what we have in our generation is a similar cowing of the culture, where if you were dumb enough to actually say something, you can feel the consequence just waiting in the air. It's heavy. And so the same thing cows every generation. Evil knows this, and evil will always play that political correctness, even though it hasn't always historically been known as political correctness. It will weigh that social sense that we all have against us standing and doing. However, what is the difference between 1939, Great Britain, and 1940? 1939 was passive. It was allowing evil to rule in individual lives and therefore in nations. In 1940, everything shifted. And they said, no more. You are not allowed to do that, Hitler. We will stand up and fight. And that's precisely, when I say these are spiritual lessons, that's the spiritual lesson. Some of us have been overcome by evil, by sin in our individual lives. You're allowing thoughts in, and you're just like, I can't do anything about it. You know what? I don't think I, I, I want to even fight this. And you've become cowardly in your soul. You've become passive in your soul. And there must be a change. You must transition from 1939 to 1940. Oftentimes, what is needed is a trial, something to stir us, to awaken us. Like, I don't want to live this way anymore. We have to sometimes reach rock bottom, which is a sad statement of humanity, that we have to reach rock bottom before we finally awaken and say, I don't want to be here. However, God will use whatever he needs to to finally stir our soul to action. 1939, Great Britain at its weakness, or as weakest, uh, or as I called this one, the thinness of 39. So I'm going to give some Churchill quotes here. I have a picture of Winston Churchill on the screen. I'm, a, I'm actually a Winston Churchill fan. My middle name, I don't know if I've ever said this before, is Winston. And so uh, I am... I don't, that's not the only reason I like him. My dad was actually named Winston. He was named after Winston Churchill. He was born right at this time, 1941, uh, actually. And uh, his parents were so impressed by Winston Churchill in 1940 that uh, they actually named my dad after him. So I'm named after my dad, technically. I love Winston Churchill quotes. They don't always make sense right away, so you have to study them a little, but uh, they're good, uh, really powerful stuff. In this dark time, Speaking of the years leading up to World War II, the basest sentiments received acceptance or passed unchallenged by the responsible leaders of the political parties. In 1933, the students of the Oxford Union, under the inspiration of a Mr. Joad, passed their ever shameful resolution that this house refuses to fight for king and country. It was easy to laugh off such an episode in England, but in Germany, in Russia, in Italy, in Japan, the idea of a decadent, degenerate Britain took deep root and swayed many calculations. Benito Mussolini, who was going to be the dictator over Italy in World War II, uh, makes this statement, Great Britain is a frightened, flabby old woman. <laughs> I can't help but laugh at that, but that's literally how the other nations looked at it. It was unwilling to fight. It was willing to allow any evil to do whatever it wanted. That's how pathetic it was. Winston Churchill had a very different disposition throughout all of this, which is why he emerges as a hero in World War II, because even when all of Great Britain was sort of floundering uh, and under Neville Chamberlain just sort of allowing uh, Hitler to just do whatever he wanted, Winston Churchill knew 
that the nature of Great Britain was different, that they were built to preserve this country. And at, certain, at a certain point, they would finally awaken. And so the German ambassador was threatening uh, Winston Churchill, and they were talking privately. And Winston Churchill got serious and said, don't underestimate England, sir. I've always liked that statement because it reminds me of the church. It's like what I want to say to the world out there that is saying the church is pathetically weak. You actually think that that could change the world? What I want to say is don't underestimate the church, sir. You see, the devil wants us to have a little view of the church and what its potential is. And the world has bought it hook, line, and sinker. And many of us in the church have bought it. And to be honest, if I look out there, I'm not that impressed with the church either. However, it is God's chosen instrument to change the world. So as a result, since I believe my God is a triumphant king of kings and lord of lords, and he intends to win this thing, I know he is going to awaken his church. And we will transfer from a 1939 to a 1940. I would really like it to be now. However, uh, sometimes I feel like we're walking through these 30s uh, years where we see the constant breakdown over and over and more and more. So 1940, Great Britain at its strongest. What a statement. So this is another Winston Churchill quote. History, which we are told is mainly the record of the crimes, follies, and miseries of mankind, may be scoured and ransacked to find a parallel to this sudden and complete reversal of five or six years' policy of easygoing, placatory appeasement, and its transformation almost overnight into a readiness to accept an obviously imminent war on far worse conditions and on the greatest scale. So what he's referring to in this transition of, of 1939 to 1940, which is what he is saying right here, is that history is, it's hard to find in all of history such a sudden and complete reversal where a nation is going to so completely change and they are going to not just accept war, they're going to accept war knowing that the conditions of war are going to probably cost tens of millions of lives, but they know that they must do something to stop Hitler. So here's another Winston Churchill quote. Here is a line of milestones to disaster. Here is a catalog of surrenders. At first, when all was easy and later when things were harder, to the ever-growing German power, but now at last was the end of British and French submission. Here was decision at last, taken at the worst possible moment and on the least satisfactory ground, which must surely lead to the slaughter of tens of millions of people. Here was the righteous cause, deliberately and with a refinement of inverted artistry committed to mortal battle after its assets and advantages had been so improvidently, improvidently squandered. Still, if you will not fight for the right when you can easily win without bloodshed, if you will not fight when your victory will be sure and not too costly, you may come to the moment when you will have to fight with all the odds against you and only a precarious chance of survival. There may, be, there may even be a worse case. You may have to fight when there is no hope of victory because it is better to perish than live as slaves. Great Britain is going to get to a place where that last option is the one on the table. They're going to choose to fight when there's really no hope of victory because it is better to perish than to live as slaves. Just a few years earlier, Great Britain had such dominant power militarily speaking. So did France over Germany. And Germany had no chance to potentially do what they're doing here. However, Great Britain is going to, because of their desire for peace, 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 no matter what, they're going to disarm. They're going to give up all of their military strength on purpose. 
and they're going to weaken themselves. Meanwhile, Hitler is building a war machine while Great Britain and France are dismantling theirs, purposely dismantling theirs. And this is going to lead to the time when they transition from 1939 to 1940 when they awaken and they recognize they've given up all their strength. They've given up their position of authority. Now they're in the weak position. What do they do? They fight. Even though now fighting means they really don't have a hope of victory unless it's a supernatural victory. And, but they believe it's better to perish than to live as slaves. So on the screen, I have a statement that's the dumbest generation. Now that comes from a book uh, and uh, it, was, it was an interesting book. I, I think it came out probably like 10 to 15 years ago, but it was talking about the generation that it was about 10 to 15 years ago in their young 20s, basically calling them the dumbest generation ever. And he did a, this exhaustive study on uh, the generation and the qualities of this generation compared to other generations. And that was his conclusion is that he was encountering the dumbest generation ever. Now, that's quite a statement. Uh, and I'm sure those of you that were classified as that generation uh, aren't too happy with such a description. I'm not sure we've gotten smarter over the last uh, 10 to 15 years. But if we were to look at the church, we could almost say the same of the church. Where the, uh, whether we'd use the term dumb it would be fitting uh, at a certain level because we have the scriptures, but we have less knowledge of the scriptures and understanding of the scriptures than maybe ever before in history. And so if I use this statement, it is highly unlikely the church today would prove to be the greatest, strongest generation ever, right? So if we look at you know today's generation, it's very unlikely that they're going to become the smartest generation ever, right? Well, that's sort of like looking at the church and saying, this is going to be the strongest church ever. You know, in all of history, the Church of Jesus Christ in the year 2023 was the strongest ever. And I think most of us would chuckle at such a thing. It's interesting because the generation that fought in World War II from Great Britain is called the greatest generation ever. That's its term throughout history, the greatest generation ever. Now, if you study it in 1939, you're going to say the same thing I'm saying right here of our generation right now. It's like totally unlikely. Yeah. The church, it's totally unlikely that they're going to storm the gates of hell in this generation and and win the glory and the victory for Jesus Christ. Yeah, right. You know, it's just, it's totally improbable. And that's why I like this series because we're dealing with, yes, improbabilities. I mean, God loves the impossible. That's his territory. What is impossible with men is possible with God. I believe that God would like to awaken the church of our generation. And I believe that though we are unlikely candidates to be a strong, virile, mighty church, that God tends to gravitate towards cases like ours to just show his strength and his power. Because who gets credit out of a Gideon army? God does. Who would get credit from turning Great Britain into a mighty war machine from 1939 to 1940. Well, anyone watching would know exactly who would get credit. Great Britain knew it at the time, which is why there was a spiritual revival at the same time. God intervened. The most unready generation ever for war. So our current generation today is actually not just, you know, not that smart up top, but they're actually the most unready generation ever for war. Isn't that interesting? 75% are ineligible to join the military. 
There's three reasons for this. Obesity, they're unfit physically, <clears throat> unable to perform the most basic <clears throat> sorry, military maneuvers. They're uneducated, unlearned mentally, unable to pass the most basic academic tests of competence, and they can't hear. What an what a odd statement that is. You have to have a certain, pass a hearing test. They lost acute hearing ability due to the volume of music. That, that was what the study showed. 75% of young people are ineligible to join the military. Now, I want you to take that spiritually now. How do you think that would affect us spiritually? Is it possible that if our generation is unready for military service, that maybe this generation is also unfit and unready for spiritual war? Uh-huh. You see, that's what I'm getting at. Ultimately, at the crux of this, this is a very personal thing to us. It's not a World War II thing. It's not a Great Britain thing. It's not a Hitler thing. You see, we live in a battle. You may not like the fact that the church talks about war and talks about you know armaments and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but uh, they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. You may not like Ephesians 6 and the fact that we have armor that we're supposed to be clothed in. And I remember one uh, author, well-known Christian author, made a statement like he's so sick and tired of the Christians using the war metaphor. And I think it's, it's important just to make this point. This isn't a metaphor. This is real. We are in a war. We are in a battle. However, are we awakening to it, or is it like Great Britain in 1939, where we're sticking our head in the sand and acting like we're not? Hitler is taking territory in 1939. Whether Great Britain wants to acknowledge it or not, they have an enemy, and that enemy is seeking to devour them. That enemy is going to crush France and then stare across the channel and actually begin to go after an invasion into Great Britain. And so as a result, Great Britain can deny it, deny it, deny it, deny it, but there is an enemy. And the church can deny it, deny it, deny it, but there is a real enemy that is trying to take us out right now. And we, for the most part, are unfit for military service. Well, let's get fit. That is precisely the answer to the solution, is not to bemoan the, our unfittedness, but to actually get fit. So the most unready generation ever for war. The generation least apt to produce warriors for cultural, moral, civic, and private good. That was what this study showed, which is an interesting statement. So here's our model for exertion of soul today. Like if you're going to exert yourself to fight, to do something, well, what would your motto be? Supply strength and passion only to the causes that best serves self's comfort and self's continued gratification. So yeah, I'll lift my finger as long as I get something out of it. You see, when we have that attitude, we are not fit for war, where you have to sacrifice, you have to give up things, you have to go and leave that which is comfortable. And I think the same is true for us as the church. Many of us are functioning very similarly to 1939 Great Britain in our faith, in our study of the scriptures, in our prayer life. We're thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about Jesus and his glory. And as a result, our enemy is moving. 1940, the proving of a nation. 1 Corinthians 1.27, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. You see, I am a believer that God wants to use our feeble, thin church of the day to change the world. I do. 
And I'm just excited to be a part of that. And I think you are too. I think those that listen to this podcast are very eager to get in on this, to be a part of the movement of grace in this generation. Some of us, we just need to knock off that that pile of dust and the moral lassitude and passivity that is sort of barnacled itself to the outside of our soul. We need to shake it off afresh and go after Jesus with gusto to wake up tomorrow morning with new resolve to live for Jesus, to fight for Jesus, to stand for Jesus, because is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering? A few more Winston Churchill quotes. The sinister news of the German-Soviet pact broke upon the world like an explosion. Now, I haven't covered what that is, but it was a big blow to Great Britain. Whatever emotions the British government may have experienced, fear was not among them. See, this is part of the awakening. This is part of what stirred me when I was studying the, the memoirs. Whatever emotions the British government may have experienced, fear was not among them. And if there was ever a time to fear, it was right here. And yet the British government is awakening. The British people are starting to awaken. They're seeing that something is wrong and they don't go to fear now. They might have gone to anger, but they didn't go to fear. This is another Winston Churchill quote. It is a curious fact about the British Islanders who hate drill and have not been invaded for nearly a thousand years that as danger comes nearer and grows, they become progressively less nervous. When it is imminent, they are fierce. When it is mortal, they are fearless. These habits have led them into some very narrow escapes. Wouldn't you love to have the church of Jesus Christ described that way? Listen to this. As danger comes nearer and grows, they become progressively less nervous. When it is imminent, they are fierce. When it is mortal, they are fearless. Oh, I want to be described that way. Why do the British get to be described that way? I want someone to describe me that way or the Americans that way. Come on. That is a great description. All right, so this is during the first attacks from the German airplanes while down in the bomb shelters. So it's called the Battle of Britain, which I, I don't even know if I'll have time to go into. We'll see. But it is, it is such an interesting uh, part of World War II. But how are the British handling this bombing? I mean, I can't imagine it was very fun. Listen to what Churchill says. Everyone was cheerful and jocular, as is the English manner when about to encounter the unknown. Oh, these are great descriptions. Churchill continues, The glory of old England, peace-loving and ill-prepared as she was, but instant and fearless at the call of honor, thrilled my being and seemed to lift our fate to those spheres far removed from earthly facts and physical sensation. So I'm going to finish this with a, a quote from Streams in the Desert, one of my favorite devotionals. Temptation is necessary to settle and confirm us in the spiritual life. It is like the fire which burns in the colors of mineral painting or like winds that cause the mighty cedars of the mountain to strike more deeply into the soil. Our spiritual conflicts are, amongst, are among our choicest blessings. And our great adversary is used to train us for his ultimate defeat. I'm going to read that last line again, just so you don't miss it. Our spiritual conflicts are among our choicest blessings. And our great adversary is used to train us for his ultimate defeat. Now, this quote continues. Keep listening. The ancient Phrygians had a legend that every time they conquered an enemy, the victor absorbed the physical strength of his victim and added so much more to his own strength and valor. So temptation, victoriously met, doubles our spiritual strength and equipment. 
It is possible for us in our spiritual life through the victorious grace of God to turn to account the things that seem most unfriendly and unfavorable and to be able to say continually, the things that were against me have happened to the furtherance of the gospel. O Lord, may it be said of us in this day and age that the things that were against us, that were unfriendly and unfavorable, were turned and used to the furtherance of the gospel in our lives as individuals and in our lives corporately as the church of Jesus Christ. I'll finish with this scripture, 1 Peter 1, 6-7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.